entrepreneurs have a really creative way to spend money, you know, to make sure that their bank account is only just ever full enough to, uh, you know, get by, so to speak, to, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we do that because if I didn't spend that big amount of money, then I wouldn't feel motivated in brackets guilty. And if I didn't feel guilty, then maybe I wouldn't be driven to go to work. Dysfunctional behaviors, some of my, maybe some of my dysfunctional or my self-sabotaging behaviors actually serving a purpose to make me feel bad, make me feel guilty. And if I feel bad and if I feel guilty, well, then I'll go back to work and I'll continue this pattern. I'll continue this cycle. When it comes to building a business empire online while intentionally cultivating a thriving life at home with kids, well, there is no roadmap. It's not easy. But the great news is we're not alone. We live in a crazy world that is truly unlike any other time in our history. And if you're like me, you've got an impact of your own to make. But you're not willing to sacrifice your relationship with those that you love in order to get it. My name is Stephanie Dove Blake, and this is the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast where we'll journey together to learn what it means to be a truly powerful parent. Let's go. We are going to be talking with Tony Kay today. Tony is someone that I uh, met in Orlando, Florida at an event, and I had no idea who this guy was. But whenever we sat down to, to talk, I don't know that I have ever met someone in my life that actually cuts through the fluff like Tony does. And I started to learn about the impact that he has been making in the world. He's actually in Australia. Uh, He works with Richmond Den. And I'm telling you what, I think that the one thing about Tony that I would be so excited about that we're going to be talking about today is is the fact that he cuts through that fluff. In in today's world, he cuts through to the heart of things and uh, the core of where problems come from. And so whenever we're talking about the kind of things we talk about on this podcast, I think that's super important. Like a lot of us stay in the fluff and it's easier there, right? Because we don't go to the hard things. We don't talk about the things that are happening underneath the surface. But Tony has this gift and I watched it in action as he would talk to people and he would dig deep with people and surface up what the true problem was. And I was like, man, I have got to have Tony on the podcast. And not only that, he's hilarious. And me and my husband enjoyed so much getting to spend time with him. And so uh, it is my pleasure to introduce to you, Tony Kay. Oh man, you guys, I cannot tell you how excited I am for this episode. You are in for such a treat. Welcome, Tony. Hey, Steph. Thank you so much. And thank you for your kind words as well. I'm, I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face. You know, whenever you get to meet at these mastermind events, you know, you're always in a flurry kind of meeting all these different people, um, but you truly did stand out. And, and I know that you're just changing people's lives all over the place. Can you tell us a little bit about what you currently do? Yeah, so currently I uh, provide coaching certifications for coaches, um, specifically in the modality of NLP, which some of your listeners might be familiar with, some of them may not be. Uh, Maybe a more familiar name might be Tony Robbins. So if you ever go to like a big Tony Robbins event, he's using a lot of transformational techniques from stage to you know, help his entire audience transform, you know, and in those audiences in a live room, maybe we're talking 10, 20,000 people, but in the virtual room, maybe it's like 70, 80,000 people. And when you have an experience like that, often you're left asking yourself like, uh, like, wow, like, how did he do that? Like, what just happened? What did I experience? I got create that same transformation for my clients. And when people start asking those questions, inevitably, they're like, hey, like, I, I hear you're that other Tony guy that can share with me, like, what the, the, the real Tony guy did. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I can, I can help you with cool coaching skills. So if you need cool coaching skills, if you want to you know, create transformation for your clients, become certified at the same time, let's come and, uh, let's come and work together. It'll be amazing. Oh, it's so cool. It's so awesome. 
So in your business right now, tell me a little bit about how many people you guys are serving. Because last time I saw the impact is so huge with point one. And and I want everybody to understand that. Yeah, thank you. Because you've built something really significant. Yeah, yeah. So it's just with my business partner, Richmond Inn. And uh, Richmond and I, we've been married. Oh gosh, I hope I get an anniversary, right? Probably like two or three coming up four years now, uh, which is which is great. Uh, the the impact, I mean, it's it's hard to measure impact. We've got thousands of clients um, throughout our programs, um, which is great. You know, me personally, I've provided over over probably, you know, 3,000 coaching certifications to coaches around the world, which, um, you know, it just warms my heart. So, yeah, definitely the impact's into the thousands. And as mentioned, like we've been in business now, yeah, coming up four years. So definitely spreading the wings, well, to, to, to our effect at least. Yeah. And so we want to celebrate those successes, but like particularly within our conversation, like you're building a legit, incredible, impact-driven business that is serving thousands of people online. And so in in that view and in that respect, I want to talk about, you know, what you've experienced and what you currently are experiencing with your kids. And and tell us again, how many kids do you have? Two children, both little ladies. I've got Noah, who is seven, and I've got Bodie, who's five. And in Australia, we've got kindergarten. So this year is Bodie's first year of kindergarten, first year of big school. And oh my gosh, uh, my heart just smiles. We do like a kiss and drop, you know, most mornings sort of take them through school. And um, they just go to like a little local school. There's not like a, a bunch of kids there, probably only about maybe about seven or 800. So, you know, you can drop them off and they hold hands and they, you know, they skip inside the school together. It's like a fairy tale. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like, oh, so, so lucky. Oh, it, it is. It is every morning. Like if I make the time to, to either be there for school drop-off or school pickup. Uh, it's very important to me. And just to be able to be there for them, you know, at each of those stages is, um, I, I think yeah. it's going to be really important for them um, long-term as well. So, yeah. Okay, cool. So we, we, we want to talk a little about like the kids in business and like, you know, how that's affecting like where things are today. Is, is that about right? Yeah. And so yeah. I, I guess I would say, so one of the things you're saying is that you prioritize in the morning, dropping your daughters off to school, right. And being able to do that kiss and drop, as you put it, how does that look for the rest of your day? Obviously you're, you're married, you've got a beautiful wife and partner kind of, how does that work together with everything that you've built online and, and how you're prioritizing the kids? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I I hear you, and um, I want to illustrate a uh, an accurate picture. So, in, in order for me to do that, is it okay if we sort of you know transport ourselves back through time, maybe about seven or eight years, to sort of get to I think like a really pivotal moment in business for me that I think every entrepreneur will have to experience this, and and I would love to be able to share this for two reasons. Number one. So maybe we can have like one eye on the future, like, oh, snap, like, you know, there, there might be like a, a hurdle, there might be like this roadblock up ahead that maybe I should just be aware of so I don't get blindsided by it. Because I'm sure we've all got entrepreneurial friends that, you know, maybe their their marriage or their relationship with their loved one maybe isn't in the, maybe it's not a 10 out of 10 relationship. And, um, you know, and the unfortunate truth is that often that 10 out of 10 or that not 10 out of 10 relationship with our loved one also translates to like a not 10 out of 10 relationship with our kids. And um, I've been in business now for 15, 16 years. And uh, I can share with you that, you know, for some of the business owners that I am around and entrepreneurs that I'm around, um, they miss those most important vital years of a child's life. Like that, that zero to seven sort of period being that imprint period where they're picking up a lot of their values and all of their beliefs. Mm-hmm. You know, they're off building the business. And yes, 
they're, they're out there and they're uh, putting food on the table and they're growing and they're expanding and they're challenging themselves and they're putting in all the hard work and they're doing it for their family. But I think there's a couple of perspectives there. So is it cool if we if we go back a few years, this is all right with us? Um, so yes, doing all the cool coaching stuff and the impact stuff now, I've always been uh, like community driven. And um, my my first business, I actually started my first business when I was 20 years old. And uh, I'm a I'm a baker by trade. So I used to be somebody who would, yeah, get up at midnight. Yeah, I would make bread every morning. I, I actually, you know, quick confession, I didn't finish school. I was a I was a high school, you know, in Australia we call them a high school dropout, but I like to call it a you know high school graduate. So I'm a high school graduate and I, I went straight into, you know, this craft of making bread. I've got <laughs> I think there's something romantic about the traditional sort of trades and and baking. And that art was for me and um, naturally introverted. Um, so, you know, to get up at midnight, to be able to listen to music, to only work with like one or two other people on something that was like really important and passionate to me, this was the perfect job. Um, so I actually had the bakeries for a total of about 14, 15 years. I only just sold the last one only a couple of years ago. And uh, actually 12 months ago, gosh, um, yeah, it's just, just on 12 months ago. And um, this, is, this is what I learned through that time because when we first started in business, um, it was just my wife and I, or she was my girlfriend at the time. And um, we had to work on that relationship, like us together, that marriage. Uh, and then I was 26, 27 when we had Noah, so about six, seven years into our entrepreneurial life, our, our business life. And, and we had gone from um, you know, a business that was doing you know, maybe nine, $10,000 a week to a business that was doing $30,000 a week. And this is all, you know, our average spend was, you know, $6.25 and we're making product and, you know, making it all happen. So we're talking big volume, like this was a, this was a full on production. And so then bringing kids into the equation, you, you want to be there as a dad, you want to be there as a partner. And then you also want to still be there for your business because you know, if you've been in business long enough and you have employees, I hope this isn't a creepy thing to say, but you sort of view your employees as your family because you're uh, you're taking responsibility for them. You're you're paying their you're you're, you're paying them so they Absolutely. can put food on their table and they can pay their mortgages. So there's a lot of responsibility uh, being an entrepreneur, and you should um you know when you harbor that responsibility, there's pressures that come with with holding that responsibility. There came a point in my life. And, and don't worry. Yes, I appreciate if you if you listen to this story, hang with me. It's got a great ending. Loving right. it, loving it. But there came a point in my life where the bakeries were were drawing me away for you know ten twelve hours a day, uh, and then look hand on heart, my my marriage wasn't in the greatest shape it should have been. And like I mentioned before, because that relationship was suffering, then also the the relationship with my children was suffering. But I had this thing, and and I don't know if if you'd be able to relate to this or not. But what what I really suffered with was finding that that work-life balance that we, we hear about as entrepreneurs, you know, like, oh, yeah, there's this work-life balance that you should try and do and you should try and, you know, make this happen and make this happen. Well, for me, I was on this pursuit of work-life balance. But when you start asking yourself, you know, like, you're building your business and, and maybe that's at the expense of forfeiting the kingdom at home. Like, if, if you're asking yourself that question or if you're like, well, if it's a forfeit or it's a sacrifice, then I don't know about you, but I'd love to like I'd love for you to check in on like what emotion you have attached to sacrifice. Wow, yeah. And, and and if if I get is it okay if I ask you, Steph, like what, what emotion do you have like attached to sacrifice? Because I know what emotion I had attached to sacrifice. Um initially, so like I feel like this is something I'd I'd want to like do some actual deep work on, but initially, yeah. whenever I think about 
my uh, connection to sacrifice, I actually feel like I had to sacrifice a lot as a kid and it was a part of being brave. It was a part of taking care of business. So I have a lot of like, I would, I suppose I lift sacrifice up on a pedestal almost because of Mm -hmm. what I lived through. Mm -hmm. And I was in order to help my mom who was very, 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 very sick. I sacrificed, you know, I sacrificed friendships, um, a a childhood, you know, I sacrificed my teen years in order to make her life better and to make our life better. Right. And so I think just with initial, just thoughts about it, subconsciously definitely think that sacrifice is up here on this pedestal. And like, if you're sacrificing, then you're doing the right thing. Right. Are you okay to explore this? I don't don't mean to put you on the spot or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's the emotional driver or the emotional motivator or sacrifice. I, I appreciate that. And, and I think for many of us, you know, for many of us in business, we we understand like number one, like most entrepreneurs, we have a long time horizon. We're not the guys that are thinking, you know, just six weeks down the track. We're the guys thinking like 10 years down the track, 20 years down the track. We're visionaries. We're thinking like, well, what's my legacy going to be? And you definitely need that attribute as a entrepreneur. And uh, maybe you've heard this war cry of you. You've got to sacrifice now to have the riches later. You've got to you know do the hard yards now to make life you know easier later. My question is, like, what do you think is the emotional driver to um, to sacrifice? If you had to put an emotion to it, an emotion to sacrifice, an emotion. A lot of different words are coming to my mind, but I'm I'm like, what is one that really encompasses sacrifice? But I think of words like grit. Is that along the lines of what you're looking for, like courage? Throw them all. What else you got? You got grit, courage. Yeah. What else? Bravery. Um, let's see. What else? Strength. I think. Yeah. Yeah, those kind of words, I think. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love this, and I, I love that those are the motivators for you behind behind that sacrifice. Um, for me, it was a little different. For me, I went through a period of my life where I would make deals with myself. These little these little deals. I don't know if you've ever made little deals with yourself. You negotiate with yourself, like, well, if I do this. Then I can do that, right? Or like if I don't do hundred percent, yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> uh, I haven't shared that with anybody before. I'm like, oh, hang on a second. Like, is this like a strange sort of Tonyism, or is this something that you know globally people do? But okay, great. So everyone's out there making these little deals with themselves. I, I started to notice, for me personally, that I was making these little deals with myself because the motivator for me behind sacrifice was guilt. And, and I really hope that this is a, a mind blowing aha moment for. Everybody who's uh, enjoying our conversation right now, because I would love for them to dig a little deeper around, you know, what is your motivator behind sacrifice? And if for right now it is guilt, then uh, I'd love to impart this lesson on you that, that that guilt only brings pain and guilt is not a motivator. And to to tie back to your original question, Jeff, around like, well, you know, how do you how do you find time for the kids? You know, you're growing your business and it's all online. I, I've proactively worked for a number of years now to operate through a motivation of not guilt, where I think for a long time in my life, I sacrificed because I would either tell myself I'm not good enough. Mm. And if I'm not good enough and I don't feel good enough, then I feel guilty and I'll go and do the thing that I have to go and do. Um, if we put it in the context of health, it's like, well, you know, I, oh, I, ate, I ate that pizza, or I ate that ice cream. So now I must go to the gym. Otherwise, I feel guilty for, for having that pizza. And, and, and there was moments like this in my life where I had the bakeries. And when I was, with, like, when I, when I was in the bakeries for 10, 12 hours, geez, I felt, I felt terrible. 
I wasn't enjoying myself at work anymore because I felt so guilty that I wasn't with my wife and I felt so guilty I wasn't with my kids. Mm -hmm. But then when I got home, what was I doing? I was thinking about the damn bakeries. I was thinking about the business. I was thinking about the employees. Yeah, I was nodding and smiling a lot. And then I felt so guilty that I wasn't in the business. And so I was guilty (laughs) at at work, you know, sacrificing my my, my relationships and my my children's childhood so I could provide for them, be a great father, be a great role model, do all those things. But then when I was with them, I wasn't really with them. I was more of a shell of myself thinking about my business. And, and this became very paradoxical in my life. And I started, these questions started coming into my mind, into my, into my awareness around like, man, like, what if you could do what you wanted to without feeling guilty? Because, you know, if, if you're on this search for work-life balance, what you're really trying to balance, I believe, you're not trying to go one for one, like, well, I spent one hour at work, so I've got to spend one hour with my kids. It's not like, well, I had one quality experience. Yeah. What if work-life 100%. balance was the ability to do what you intrinsically knew you needed to do guilt-free? Ooh, I love that. Love that. M- maybe. I don't, I don't know. Like, for, for me, this is, how, this is how I try and operate. I try and operate through the lens of um, there's no right or wrong. It's just the meaning that I'm applying to the behavior that I'm displaying at the moment. There's no, well, it, it should be this way or, or it has to be this way. And if it's not that way, because I was, I, I was never diagnosed ACD, but I was very procedural, like, you know, very routine, very, I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, you value structure, right? It was very structured. I was, I was up at 11.38 every night in the bakeries and I knew that it was only going to take me seven minutes to put my baking whites on and drive to the business and I was going to be there, you know, 11.50 and I could get my first dough mixing at 11.55. Like, you know, the, the whole routine was down. How do you remove guilt as a motivator in your life? And how do you? Because I, I, I honestly, I do believe that uh, you know you do that. You do the hard thing now. Life is easy. You do the easy thing now. Life is hard. But how can I train myself to do the hard thing now because it's the right thing, not because if I don't do it, I'll feel like crap later? Does it kind of make sense? I don't know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think so many of us. It's come up several times on the different interviews that I've done, where we talk about mom guilt and dad guilt and for that being the major motivator. And I don't think there is one entrepreneur like in person when I'm talking to them that has not mentioned that mom guilt or that dad guilt. And dads have guilt just as much as the moms do, right? Of course. But it seems to be that mom guilt is more, you know, more well-known. So I, I love this topic. So how do you, whenever we talk in the framework of work, work-life balance and kind of seeking that place of living from non-guilt, right? And like making movements because you feel like it's the right thing to do. What does that look like? What does that look like for you? Number one, and um, look, whether you you have a belief system around the universe, or whether you have a belief system around God, or whether you have a belief system around like a, an internal wisdom, I, I, I think for a good portion of you know, people in business, we we probably have, you know, that call or we have that that little voice or that little guidance system, if you will, and you'll you'll have your own label for it, that sort of comes into our awareness and sort of lets us know intrinsically like what's the the thing that we we um we we should be doing or the thing that we we can be doing. So how do we how do we listen to that or how do we follow that so we can get to where it is we think we know where we're going, but how do how do we get to where it is that we're sort of being led to to go and make that big impact that we we want to make as well as we go through our experience, but also then do it uh, not through the lens of guilting ourselves into motivating ourselves into what it is that we, we, we potentially could be doing. For me, 
personally to navigate that space, um, number one, you've got to listen to that intrinsic call. You've got to listen to what are the things that you are actually really important and, and make time for those things that are really important. And I hope for everybody listening here, the children, oh my gosh, they're important. Your relationship, oh my gosh, it's important. Your business, oh my gosh, yes, it's important. But then how do I internally store, like how do I internally store what, what and, and I'll put in air quotations, balance is? Um, for, for me, I, I don't think it's it's balance in the set of, maybe maybe the traditional sense of, a set of scales, right? Like, like, well, it's got to be balanced. Maybe we have this picture in our mind of, you know, the scales, you know, being balanced. I, I think it's not that. And I would, I'd question anybody to, to see if, if, if maybe the real meaning behind balance is to be able to do what they need to with having an intrinsic piece about themselves. Like, where, where you, because they're in alignment with what they believe would be the right thing to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, because it's like you, yeah. you know what? Like I've I've got this um I've got this calling I've got this inner blueprint where I know I've got to eat these foods because these foods are going to keep me healthy and, and they're going to you know, make my energy um great. So you know I should eat like I know what I should be eating and I probably shouldn't eat these things. And well, you know, from an exercise standpoint, I know I should do this. And in my relationship, I know this is what I should do. And you know, in business aspect or my parenting, this is maybe what I should do. But sometimes it, you know, we we have these functional behaviors and we have these dysfunctional behaviors, behaviors, and and sometimes the dysfunctional behaviors they run louder than our functional behaviors, and you know, in in my world we call this self sabotage, right? Oh, yeah, end up self sabotaging ourselves in in our relationship or we, in our parenting um, or in our health or you know, even in our business. Oh my gosh, I know as an entrepreneur um, and and having coached many entrepreneurs as well, like entrepreneurs have a really creative way to spend money. You know, to make sure that their bank account is only just ever full enough to, uh, you know, get by, so to speak. To, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we do that because if I didn't spend that big amount of money, then I wouldn't feel motivated. In brackets, guilty. And if I didn't feel guilty, then maybe I wouldn't be driven to go to work. Mm. And so maybe like some of my self-sacrifice is actually like some of my, um, pardon me, not self-sacrifice, but dysfunctional behaviors some of my maybe some of my dysfunctional and my self-sabotaging behaviors actually serving a purpose to make me feel bad make me feel guilty and if i feel bad and if i feel guilty well then i'll go back to work and i'll continue this pattern i'll continue this cycle which ultimately wouldn't you say it's all just it's protection it's it's uh, it's uh, us grasping for value and and worthiness and and love would you say and we mentioned tony robbins before and um uh, tony robbins he talks about uh, six core needs and um, very, very quickly, those six core needs, uh, there, there's four primal needs and there's two spiritual needs. This is the way that uh, Tony Robbins puts it, is that like on a primal level, we're all seeking, you know, certainty, uncertainty, love and connection and um, significance. This is this is all on a primal level. And then on a spiritual level, we're, we're out there to really feed our soul. We, we want to contribute and we want to grow as a human. When I think on a behavioral level, mm -hmm. I think on a behavioral level, every behavior I display, number one, it probably fits into one of two categories. It either is a functional, like it's either a functional behavior or it's a dysfunctional behavior. Um, but, but each of these behaviors, whether it's functional or dysfunctional, is a driver to one of those four primal needs. Either I'm doing this behavior because it gives me certainty. I'm doing this behavior because it gives me variety or adventure in my life. I'm doing this behavior because it helps me be seen and it gives me significance. I'm doing this behavior. For, for like love and and connection. And when we think about, you know, in, in the entrepreneurial space, you know, sort of going with our example that we're going with, if you've made a lot of money as an entrepreneur and then you spend a lot of money and it's like, whoa, hang on a second, like probably should have, maybe I could have invested that money or 
maybe I could have held on to it. Did I really need to make that purchase? And then you use that as that motivator to go back into business. And so I, and I'm just theorizing right now, maybe you spend that money because you know with certainty you're going to be motivated to keep working. Mm-hmm. Maybe it fills a need for certainty. I, I don't know, I'm just throwing it out of it. Yeah, that's so that is so fascinating to me. I wonder too, with our kids, you know, have, have you seen this at work with your kids in a maybe a tangible way that you could uh, tell us about where they're seeking those uh, foreign primal needs yeah. to be fulfilled? Fabulous question. And um, is it okay if I put you on the spot a little bit with a couple of questions and we'll sort of navigate this space and we'll see, see where it goes? Yeah, um, absolutely. Steph, as much as we like to believe we're perfect parents, I know I'm definitely not a perfect parent. And I, I say this very tongue in cheek. Every time, and any times like you've ever sort of maybe had like an argument with your kids, like is, and, and, you know, you've had a bit of a bit of an argument, maybe. Oh, okay. Yes, one thousand percent. To to remind everybody, I have a 10, 15, 18, and twenty one year old. We have had some arguments. I mean, we are Blakes. We're we're good at being stubborn. We, we are Blake. It's, it's in arguments. our DNA <laughs> to you know have, have have that conversation. Fantastic. I love. Yes, it. from both sides hey, with an argument. <laughs> And, um, you know, for, for, for me growing up, having an argument with mum or dad, often at times it would it either end in like I would be in tears, maybe mum or dad would be in tears, maybe I would be sent to my room, or maybe they would walk away from the conversation. I don't know. Does this sort of sound like sometimes like when you have uh, you know, the, these clashes at home, right? And so talk me through this a little bit, Steph. So yeah. maybe you have an argument. I don't know, like what, what side of the equation uh, yeah. are you? Are you like a don't eat your room person or are you a, like a... I'm going to go take some time for myself type person or like what sort of happens? I think if it gets too hostile, we'll, we'll say, you know, we need to take a break. We, let's just take a little break. Yep. Everybody cool down and come back and talk about this. But for the most part, we are sticker outers. So we, <laughs> we're going to, we'll be teared up and, and, and talking through it and, and kind of fighting through it for the most part. But if it, if worse comes to worse, we're like, okay, let's just take a break from this. I, the bottom line is I love you. You love me still? You still okay? Yes, you still love me. Okay, all right, good. Let's go. Yeah, let's go take a break and come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you just you just you just dropped something really profound that I don't know if it was in your awareness just how profound what it is that you just said, but I I, I want to shine some light on it for 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 you and for for everybody here listening. Mm-hmm. You do still love me. You know, sometimes our our little people they display these um. You know, before we we're talking about functional and dysfunctional behaviors, sometimes our little people, they display these dysfunctional behaviors. And I know as a yes. parent, I've definitely said to myself, like, tearing my hair out. Ah, well, what are you doing this for? Come on, we've spoken about this. Come on, we've worked on this. Come on, this is where it's at. And so then maybe you have a clash, right? Maybe, maybe, and I say a clash, but maybe you have like a really in-depth conversation where they're the only focus in your life. You think primal needs right now, significance. They are the most significant person on the planet. Now look at this pattern. We've got a dysfunctional behavior that they unconsciously know is going to make them your number one, your number one focus. Do you reckon that doing that dysfunctional behavior is going to be a thing that they want to do to maybe draw you away from your business or maybe draw you away from your office or draw you away from the, that thing that you find yourself in? You're you're most important in that part. And, and then um, for most, uh, you know, again, just generalizing, just generalizing. I think, Steph, most people do ask that question, well, do you still love me? Or an argument will finish with a big hug and an embrace. And a Mm -hmm. hug and an embrace is representative of love and connection from a primal need. And and so sometimes, and and I'd love for you to have this, you know, draw this picture in your mind right now. 
we have behaviors that we're doing in the physical world. Some behaviors are conscious behaviors, some behaviors are unconscious behaviors. Each of these behaviors, they're either going to fit in this category of functional or this category of dysfunctional. Now, if we go down the route of the dysfunctional, maybe it is, maybe I do, you know what? Bodhi and Bodhi. Bodhi knows this. Bodhi, I, I say Bodhi is like my, she's like my little challenger. I sort of say she, she's like, she's a bit of a badass. And uh, in, in our family, she's a mismatcher. She's only five. But if she could, you know, wear a leather jacket and ride a Harley Davidson, I'm pretty sure she would, <laughs> right? She, she's, that, she's that sort of girl. And I, I love her to bits. Um, and, and I know that, um, well, I could hypothesize that so, some of um, Bodhi's behavior, um, she does unconsciously. Um, and it's this dysfunctional behavior to to get my total attention. Mm-hmm. When she has my total attention, she gets my love. Does it sound crazy? Mm-hmm. Does it sound ludicrous? Tell me more. No, absolutely. And as you're bringing these things up, I, I wonder if if you know of any trainings or anything. I mean, we could talk about it and link it later on, but I'm just so curious if there have been any studies with children and these six core needs, you know, and like really diving into to the aspect of just children and then the dynamic of the parental relationship. Because I think about certainty where a lot of kids are like, are you still going to show up for me? Are you still going to show up for me? Like, can I always come home? You know, and like where they want to test those boundaries to see where's the boundary where, I don't know, maybe it relates back to love, but you know, is this, can I really depend on you and, and have certainty about our relationship? And I definitely see significance for sure, because my kids, I thought I was raising four extroverted blessings. I mean, that's literally like in my tagline on like so many things over the past couple of years, but actually, they're actually really, truly more introverts that are capable of extroversion, which I'm finding out through them that I think that's actually who I am. Although I've always thought I was an extrovert. And so, so, Mm. uh, so fascinating to me to see them look for significance and finding it and seeing it reflected, hopefully in my heart, because I see them as significant. And so I hope to mirror that back to them that in my relationship with them, that Mm. they find themselves significant. And I know now that you were talking about it, I can think of a few key conversations, even in the past two months with my kids, where that was the core need that was coming up there. It was, am I significant? Do I matter? Like, and, and also of course, you know, how deep is our connection? How much do you love me? If, if I love this over here and I know you don't love it, do you still love me? Because there's some differences in music choices and things like that. And it's kind of like, do we still have a connection if we don't agree on (laughs) this music choice, right? Do you still love me fully and completely? And that's, you know, the light stuff there. But I think this is such a fascinating understanding. And then even, even more so as the parents, like thinking about connection there as far as us feeling significant or not significant as a parent. And how that drives guilt in our lives and and drives us to take certain actions. And so I'd love to kind of dive into and you I mean you're welcome to always use me as an example or whatever but I'm I'm thinking about like my own relationship with my mom. My mom was very very sick and you know I she also was on lots of medications and prescription drugs and non-prescription drugs at one time and you know she really had to fight for life at a point because of her disability. And so in that time frame, you know, my mom was always fighting for that connection with me, but I mm. felt so distant because of how every what what was happening in our lives, right? And so in the midst of all of that, I, I'm thinking about my mother at that time and those six needs that she must have been trying to fill in the midst of all of her struggles and and pain, right? And 
how crazy that must be. And so I'm thinking about myself as a parent and thinking about my children. What am I, am I, and, and is it healthy? Am I looking for validation in these six areas with my kids? I don't know, Tony, do you ever ask yourself, like, am I ever, should we ever, and are we ever, is there a natural way or place where we should be looking to our kids at all to fill these needs? I don't feel like that. That doesn't feel right (laughs) when I say it out of my mouth, but I'm like, I would imagine there's a lot of parents out there trying to find significance in their children. Hence, you know, you've got tiger moms, you know, who are like, I don't know. I think there was a book called Tiger Mom. My my sister-in-law says it a lot. And it's just, you know, their kids are in every activity possible and they're going to be this and they're going to be that. And so they're trying to find potentially their significance through their child or if if their kid pulls away, right? And they don't feel that sense of love and connection and validation from their child, then their world falls apart, which is definitely unhealthy, right? So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Our behaviors as parents uh, and as people always be dictated by the six needs. And, and like when we talk about like behavioral dictation, like well, what is going to dictate my behaviors? You know, the first thing that's going to dictate your behaviors is going to be your expectations, like what it is that you expect from a situation. You'll violate your expectations um, if your your if your standards are met. Mm. So so think about that for a second. Like if if you have an expectation that you know someone's going to be at the the workplace ten minutes early, ready for their shift, or ready to you know clock in, um, and they show up there just on the dot, well. About an expectation that you might be here 10 minutes early, but if you show up on time and, and you you still hit the workload, then you know what? Like that, that's cool. And so, like, number one, like what we're putting out is a bunch of expectations, but also notice that we'll violate our expectations should our standards be met. What supports standards? Well, the thing that supports our standards are, are our beliefs. Because if, if somebody doesn't hit the standard that you hold in your life, but you believe them to be a good person or you believe them to have the best intentions or you believe that they're actually doing their best or you believe that they don't mean to do what they're doing, well then, oh, you know what? Like, I, I know you didn't show up on time. I know you didn't hit the workload and stuff, but, um, oh man, I, how long have we known each other? You know, five years, 10 years? Like, I know you're a good person. Come on, like, just let's just try a little harder. That, that Gosh, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, how many times have I had that conversation? How many times might have you had that conversation? You'll, 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 you'll hold your beliefs and your beliefs will dictate your behaviors um, and, until we start really having a conversation around values. And here's where we're going to, I suppose, the experience. What is it that you value in a relationship? And, and, and that's two um, mm, mm-hmm. So to share a statistic, right? Like, um, and, and, and I'm not accurate on the statistics. So no, no, nobody quote me or nobody gives Steph a hard time. Oh, you had that guest on that Tony guy and he said this was the numbers. No, I, I don't know. In Australia, at least, like the, the statistics that I hear is that, like in a domestic violence relationship, like um, the, the the abuser will have abused the partner, you know, two eight times before that person decides to leave the house, right? Up to eight times, and you know that that, that that's got to get you curious, right? Like, you know, if if you're beaten up, you know, not just once, not just twice, but like up to eight times, which means it could be way more than that. Mm. What keeps you in a marriage? Well, you know, maybe it's your values of a marriage. Maybe you value your your oath. Like maybe you value that you took the vow to be in this marriage. Maybe when you said till death do us part, you genuinely meant till death do us part. Now you believe that you shouldn't be treated that way, but you now have a value around what marriage is. You have a value around like what it means to be a parent. And well, you know, I I don't want the kids to maybe grow up in a in a broken uh, relationship or like in, in two different homes or anything like that. So. 
I'll stay in that bad relationship for the sake of the kids, even though I believe my relationship isn't well because I value having the household that we've like created together. So then your values are, are dictating. So I appreciate this conversation might be pinballing around a little bit, but to align it for you before we we get to the top of the conversation is that we're all setting or all putting out like a set of expectations, but our, our expectations will violate our expectations should it meet our standards. We'll violate our standards should it meet our beliefs and we'll violate our beliefs should it be inside of our value system. And for most of us, we're not thinking about like, what is our value system? Or what do I value in the context of you know, marriage? What do I value in the context of being a parent? Many of us, we've never asked ourselves that question. Uh, it'd be a great question for everybody now to ask themselves. Like, top five things that I really value about being a parent. Oh gosh, and I really value, maybe you get some surface level things and then maybe you, you stew on that. Maybe you get some deeper things. Here's the real truth though. The real truth is that you'll, you'll violate your values to meet your needs. Mm. You know, eventually, but here's the thing. People don't eat in a marriage after 10 years or after 15 years mm. because one day they decided that you weren't attractive or, you, you know, maybe you've had a couple of kids and things that weren't sagging before are sort of sagging a little bit now. I don't know. Like it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's not the reason somebody leaves. You know, like people have mistaken, you know, uh, sexual intercourse with love. And so if you're in a marriage that is maybe non-sexual, or there's a lack of, here's the word, connection or a lack of love. It doesn't have to be uh, sexual. But if we don't have that connection piece, well, then people are going to go out there and they're going to proactively look for it. I'll violate my Mm -hmm. values around marriage in order to have my need for love and connection met. And if that means having an affair, I will have an affair to have my love and connection met. If it means, right, and yes, we're coming through the, the relationship context right now, but also put this into the parenting context. And so if you sort of brought up a moment ago, like, do you believe that maybe parents are trying to get their four primal needs met through their children. Absolutely. Yes. Tiger Mums, great example. Absolutely. That that dad who's living vicariously through his son on the sports field, you know, playing footy and, you know, he's there with the tracksuit on being like, come on, Johnny, you can do better and push him harder and do this and do that. Um, absolutely. Are we consciously doing it? Maybe not. Are we unconsciously doing it? Maybe so. And, you know, there's a lot of studies out there that illustrate that our unconscious mind or our unconscious behaviors are responsible for about 95% of the decision-making that we're doing every day. And only 5% of the decisions we're making are part of our conscious mind. So consciously, we don't mean to maybe display these behaviors, but unconsciously, maybe we are getting our need for connection or maybe our need for significance or certainty or variety met through our children. Now, here's here's a big question that's probably in everybody's minds right now. Well, Tony, is that a good thing? Could I be looking for validation? Should I be should, like, well, you know, is, is this a thing? I share this with all of my clients. If, if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. And, and I take this kind of from the relationship field because often at times in our relationship, it may be, I could just fix my husband. Oh, if I could just fix my wife, right? And everything would be better. The moment you realize that those things that you are disliking of your partner are a reflection of you and that you're you're the thing. Like when you realize you're the thing, it's like, oh, oh snap, there's some things that I need to work on because the stuff that I'm seeing as a problem, they're not seeing as a problem. So if it's not a problem for them, then it's not a problem. Yeah. And and let's just adapt that 
to the, if I'm getting my needs met here, is it a problem? Well, you know, again, let's just go to some fundamentals. Is it a functional thing or is it a dysfunctional thing? Now, if it's a dysfunctional thing, you probably not ought to do it. You, you probably want to try and find some functional ways to get that need met. Mm. Um, and right now, maybe uh, we're having some mind-popping moments being like, oh, snap, hang on a second. Like, yeah, you know, like, um, oh, I drive to the kiss and drop and I'm the only parent that toots the horn and I think it's funny, right? But what am I really doing, right? I'm I'm getting my need for significance met. Now, is that a functional way to do it or is it a dysfunctional way to do it? How does it affect, like, does it affect my children? How does it affect those people around me? And am I causing any dramas? Now, if I'm not causing any dramas and it's just a bit of shenanigans and it's a bit of fun, it's a problem. <laughs> but if I'm doing it and everyone else is like, hey, listen, like, you know, every time you toot your horn, it, it you know, it, it wakes up the neighbors and, you know, your kids are embarrassed and all the rest of it. Well, maybe that might be like a dysfunctional behavior that I could replace. But now I realize I'm tooting my horn because I actually just want to have my need, like my own selfish need for significance meant. Where are we at in the conversation, Steph? Tell me all about it. My gosh. No, I love that so much because I feel like it's a great thing for everybody who's listening to stop and evaluate. And you've shed so much light on just how things can work under the surface and we not even notice it. And I think that's how a lot of things happen. It, you know, I, I'm I'm old enough now to where tons of my friends have had kids, right? And man, you know, the things that start to happen in people's lives and the impact on their children is so profound in ways. Cause I remember as a child, I remember like, why are you, I'd meet other kids. I'm like, why are you like that? Like, what is your freaking deal? Why are you, you know, why do you have to put everybody down? Or why do you have to act that way with every boy that ever comes around? You know, like there's all these things. And now as, as a, as a woman, I am starting to see through all these years of now experience of like, oh my gosh. That's what must have been happening in the home, you know, or the experience that, that that person had that led them to that type of behavior because they were ultimately seeking what we're talking about in some way, shape, or form. Love, connection, significance, certainty, uncertainty, or variety. And man, it, that, I think if we can stop and ask, ask ourselves right now, what is my child asking me for? Like whenever we see behaviors happening in our home what are what could be the core of that and how do we push all the behavior to the side even and address that need i was speaking with a beautiful woman i know who has a child and the child is is struggling with some behavioral issues and as i was listening through what she was telling me i started to recognize this exact thing that it wasn't actually what the kid was making it about it was about something much deeper but this person is actually a lot like me um, and you know, as I parented as a young parent, I went thing at things a certain way. And it wasn't until I got some mentors in my life that I started to understand what I was doing. Um, and to me, I'm I'm a direct person. I go straight to the core of whatever it is I think the problem is, right? But in actuality, that doesn't always serve us as parents, right? We it, it doesn't serve us at all because we're the mature one. Even though sometimes we feel like going all Hulk or like throwing a temper tantrum ourselves, ultimately like an adult. But we're the mature ones. We're the ones that get to see the eagle eye view because we're older, we're wiser, mm. right? Or we're trying to be anyway. We're we're learning, right? And so in those circumstances, you know, whenever the kid is has these behaviors, sometimes the behaviors are not what it's about at all. And, you know, a lot of people shy away from that or they feel, I, I've talked to a lot of people who feel really hopeless because they're like, I don't know what it is. I just see the behavior. And I also don't know how to not respond to that behavior and instead treat the core need that is actually causing the behavior because they themselves feel so frustrated. And so 
I think this is really profound. And I hope that everybody who's listening, you know, kind of thinks both ways for, for, for one with, the, with the children, with your children, if there's some behaviors that may not be good, or, or maybe even you, you even have to kind of look and see, I mean, a kid can be overperforming out of some unhealthy needs. Right. And so it's almost like a, um, a temperature gauge and it's almost like, or no, a temperature gauge is probably a bad example, but I guess not. Maybe where a zero is in the middle and you've got over here and it's the negative and then you've got over here and it's the positive on the right side, right? And just kind of evaluating whenever we look for our children with these these needs, where do we feel like they are health-wise, you know? And maybe even sitting down and, and doing a bit of journaling for each child as well as for yourself. You know, are, are we trying to find... I know for me, it's a, a positive thing. I I thrive. I did not have love and connection in my home, or at least I didn't feel a significant amount of love and connection in my home because of our circumstances. It was me and my mom against the world, but it was mostly me. And that's how I felt, you know? And so I, I long for that with my kids and it's motivated me to do things differently in my business, do things differently in how I choose to spend my time. I value that for myself, but I also want them not not to experience what I experienced as a kid, right? I want them to feel like they have a place to belong, that there's that connection, that, that there's that love. And, and I've also come to know that that's a very healthy thing that helps grow healthy humans, right? Yeah. And so, man, I, Tony, I feel like this is so powerful. Do you have anything to add to what I just said there as far as like looking at it both ways? If someone's listening right now and they're like, oh, okay, I'm doing that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually sit down with a piece of paper. I'm going to journal through that, or I'm going to think it, think about it. Uh, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, a couple of things that may or may, may, or may not be accepted. So I'll, um, you gave me this beautiful intro where it's like, well, Tony just cuts through the fluff. Um, well, you guys yes. get to have an experience yes. of that right now. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, let's do it. If, and, and, I, and I want you to think about this from, from both lenses. Number one lens, as you as a, as, as a parent, uh, but also through the lens of, of your, your child, because remember that your, your child is holding a perspective. And you're holding a perspective. And so each perspective, there's a kernel of truth in each perspective. And, and until you can discover the truth from that perspective, you won't be able to shift that perspective. And so it's it's not as simple as to um, say, hey, here's the, look, the reason you're doing this behavior is because you want to be significant. No, we have to ask a series of questions in order to help our children notice for themselves like through this lens of exploration mm, that mm-hmm. this is the real this is the real thing a couple, couple of things because steph you just dropped you dropped so much gold um you mentioned the word va- validation let's number one let's not seek validation through our children but let's also not be the validator of our children and um, because mm, what, what we've okay tell me more about that what we've neglected to speak about is that we have four four uh, six six core needs and four of those are primal but something tony robbins doesn't share and, and i'm i'm Maybe this will be the first time that anybody here may have heard this. Is that we actually have four human fears, and there's there's two primal fears and there's two spiritual fears, and these are these are inbuilt. Like as a human, you know, like when you're born, these are the two fears that you're born with. This is it. It's loud noises and falling. Mm. That's on a primal level. On a primal level, you know, you you, you remember like uh, having that dream and you you wake up startled because you thought you were falling. Yeah, you thought you yes. were falling, right? We've all had yes. that dream. Like that's not a coincidence. That's a that's a fear that we're experiencing through dream, right? And then we we also have two uh, primal fears. Uh, pardon me, two spiritual fears. The first fear is the fear of not being good enough. Mm-hmm. The second fear is because I'm not good enough, then I won't be loved. Yeah. 
one thing that I'm very conscious of in, in my parenting is to give my children internal system of self-validation. So they don't seek, they don't seek the validation of others, not, not through like an egoic, you know, uh, banging of the chest, I'm just better than you type. No, not, not through that, but through an, 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 like an inner peace or an inner wisdom that, well, you know, I, I can evaluate whether I did the right thing here or not. Like I know the difference between right or wrong. I understand the difference between a quality job or a not quality job. I, you know, secretly I know whether uh, I behaved uh, in a way in which is going to be best for others or a, a way that was best for me. Look, we've been guilty. I mean, we've all been guilty of doing things out of you know, our own selfish needs. Like let's 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 not pretend, right? There's there's been times in our lives where we've done things because well, it felt good, or we've done things and oh gosh, well you know. In the moment, it didn't seem so bad, but I can definitely, I can definitely sort of view that now. So, I want to put a little lid on on, on validation. Um, if we're a parent right now, we're looking for the, the validation through our children, or maybe we're even looking through the valid. And it might sound strange, but the validation of acceptance through our children's friends. Like, do my do my kids' friends think I'm cool? Like, if we're looking for that validation, maybe just let ourselves. Yeah, yeah that's legit. To bring, to bring that's legit. Thing. I want my friends. I want my kids' friends to like me. I I'll do. share with you that the, the freedom. <laughs> In that validation comes when when you release the expectation of wanting to be accepted. You know, life has this really uncanny way of giving us everything that we need the moment we don't want yeah. it anymore. It's such yeah. a bugger. It's such a yeah. It's such a bugger. Uh, but mm, but it's a thing. Yep. Second little thing that you spoke about, and we spoke a little about perspective. Get to perspective in a moment. If you've been an employee, I bet there's been times in your employee mindset where you thought, you know what, my boss is lazy. My boss, he doesn't he doesn't do the work. Like he leaves early. I bet there was a time in your life as a kid when you were at school, you're like, man, can't wait to leave school. I'm just going to go home and do what my parents do, which is probably just you know watch TV, I guess, because you don't realize that they have a job and they're working their backside off, right? But from your perspective, you think that you've got the rough end of the stick, or from your perspective, um, you believe that you can't wait to leave school or you can't wait to be uh, the employer, but. When you're the employer, you realize just how hard it is being the employer or being the, the head of the business. And you're like, oh, snap, this is actually a lot harder. But you never, listen here, like you never understood it before because it wasn't in your perspective, right? You don't, you don't understand how hard parenting is until you became a parent. You didn't realize yes. how hard not being in school was. And we think back on school now, you know, I'm guilty of saying this to my kids. Oh, gosh, just enjoy school. You don't know how good you've got it, right? And I can only say that because of my new perspective. So appreciate, yeah, appreciate that your little people have like Perspective, perspectives yeah. and um, everything is uh, perspectival in its approach. Like each perspective is truth. And so how do I navigate maybe through questioning or maybe through like your, your coaching tools or through your conversation, how do I navigate these perspectives in order to see eye to eye? And if it's okay, Steph, like, Let's not just talk about parenting or let's not just only apply this to parenting. Let's apply it to like our marriages or let's apply it to like our, our spousal relationships because sometimes the problem that we deal with is the surface level problem. Like you mentioned a second ago, like sometimes kids, maybe they come or maybe our partner, maybe they come, they have like a, a surface level you know, problem and look, for them, it's the real deal. Like you and I maybe know through our different perspective, or oh, maybe there's something that's stemming that or maybe there's something secretly that's that's driving that behavior. Okay, cool. And like, you can't just give the answer, right? You can't just give the, well, this is the real thing. What we need to do is we need to, um, we need to get to the deep structure and, and how do we navigate that? So I'd love to give you um, an example of how you can navigate 
So both perspectives, whether it be, you know, child and mother or father, or whether it be, you know, husband, wife, or whatever that family um, dynamic is. And, and here's the power of what I'm about to share with you. If you're in your marriage right now, you have a syndrical problem. Now, what's a syndrical problem? A, a syndrical problem is a problem that is uh, reoccurring through time. Maybe, okay, I've got some nods right now. This is the problem that sort of comes up. Every, like it's got an anniversary for some reason. And for some of us, maybe it's a six-month yeah. anniversary. Maybe it's a two-year anniversary. But yeah, yeah. at the end of that discussion of that problem, it sort of just pitters out. And a day goes to by or day, two days goes by or a week goes by and things sort of go back to normality. If you want to be able to fix that problem in real truth, then, then you need to know how to have that conversation because the, the, the real truth is if you've got that problem and it's an existing problem, then everything you've tried up until this point, it hasn't worked. Yeah, and let's apply that to like our kids as yeah, well. Let's apply that sure. to to our marriage. Like if if this is a problem in my parenting and I've tried everything, well, it's not that you've tried everything. It's just that everything you have tried hasn't worked at this point. Or if you have that reoccurring sort of syndrical problem in your in your marriage, and you're like, oh man, yep. this is a bugbear, and I just you know there's there's a part of me that just feels like I don't know if this will ever get resolved. I don't know if he he will ever see my point of view. Or I don't know if she'll ever understand where it is I'm coming from. Then then here's the question that's going to open that can of worms. You have to approach this conversation through understanding that it's a perspective. So I'm not judging a person or I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong in this instance. What I am doing is I'm coming through this lens of curiosity. How curious can I get to discover how you created your perspective? Now, what does that mean? It means that I need to leave some of my perspectives at the door. It means that I have to leave some of my beliefs at the door. And, and there might be some times where that yep. person might share some their truths with me. And I'm going to be like, mm, mm, mm. the moment I notice my lips are pursing and my head is shaking, I've got to stop and go, you know what? That's their truth right now. This is the way that they're viewing the problem. Or that's the way that they're viewing the situation. So that's the truth for them. And I hope that this is giving everybody a deeper understanding of perspective because this is what a perspective is, right? Um, and that's all it is. So how do we crack the can on that perspective? You ask this question because um, language has like, Redirection. The first direction in language is uh, it's called like a like chunking up. Like you can go up, and uh, when you bring people up in a conversation, um, you, you generally you find agreement with people, right? Like um, a, a very chunk up statement might be, "Let's go on a holiday," and everyone will be like, "Yeah, let's go on a holiday." Now, where do you end up having the argument? Well, you argue about where you want to go. You argue about what you're going to do on that holiday, but everyone agrees that holiday is a great idea, right? So that that's like sort of chunking up. The next direction is called like a lateral chunk, which is sort of like a sideways step, so to speak. And this is like the domain of like problem solvers. Like if you're, you're firstly, you're in business, so you're already a problem solver. You probably already do this lateral chunking, this sideways stepping very unconsciously, and you're probably already very effective at it. But just think of it like this. Like imagine you're driving down the highway, uh, you're driving down the freeway and your car breaks down. Well, if your car breaks down, how are you going to get to where you need to go? What are your other options? Well, maybe it's an Uber, maybe it's a taxi, maybe you can get a, a, a bus, or maybe you can get a train, or maybe you can, you know, hitchhike. I don't know. But like all of these are different examples of how you can utilize a vehicle, so to speak, right? So that, that, that's lateral chunking. Here's the big one that I want to share with you it's chunking down. The, the, the reason why the problem is syndrical in nature is because you haven't hit the, the deep core of that problem. Only way you can hit the deep core of that problem is through asking this question. And the question that you want to ask is, mm -hmm. how is that a problem for you? Yeah, because mm. 
humans, but we're meaning-making machines. So it's this thing, service-level thing. Now, I want to take that thing. I want to take that cylindrical problem that we've got, this reoccurring thing that's been plaguing us through our marriage. Hey, this thing, and bring no negative charge to it, right? Like bring no emotional charge to it. Hey, this thing that sort of keeps popping up. How's that a problem for you? And then if I, if I want to get granular with the detail, I could ask, like, how specifically is it a problem for you? Now, now, if I can elicit how it's a problem for them and I can elicit specifically the problem for them, well, now I've got something to work with. Right? Now I understand that perspective. Yeah, sorry, yeah. go for it. I just, I'm thinking about a kid that I know that very specifically, whenever this circumstance came up, the kid essentially mm-hmm. doesn't like to go out in public. There's not really any true like uh, diagnosable issues or anything, just extreme anxiety around being around people and and what's going on. And whenever we really got down to it, we were all so shocked because it ultimately came down to, you know, a deep, deep core. As we all know that, that, that all of our, you know, kind of strange behaviors usually resolve down, but we kept asking, well, well, what's going on? Well, if I go out, then, you know, I'll be awkward. Well, okay. Well, okay. But besides that, what does it mean if you're awkward? You know, what does that, what does that mean to you? Well, if I'm awkward, then people aren't going to like me. Okay. Well, if people don't like you, what does that mean to you? And just kind of like working through with, with this kid. And, um, it was so crazy because ultimately it did, it revolved around love and connection and just feeling that at the core, he had had some base friends at the beginning of his little friendship life. Those friends ultimately rejected him. And he was carrying around that rejection and the fear of rejection and knowing that if he just didn't put him in the self in those situations, then, you know, he didn't have to worry about being rejected. Hey, powerful parents, Stephanie here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Did you know that statistics show that 88% of Americans say they eat dinner with their family every night or a few times a week? I think that's a pretty awesome stat. But if you're anything like me and you're an entrepreneur, then after a day filled of putting out fires and maybe various events testing your patience, sometimes it's hard to think of questions that can help you really connect with your kids beyond the standard, how was your day? When my kids were just littles, I put together a list of questions to solve this problem and to help us have something to connect with over dinner time. And now I would love to share my curated dinner questions with you. This is good for littles and for bigs. There's lots of different varying questions in there. And these questions are going to help to ensure that the conversation is not just lively, but will bring you closer to your children while you enjoy a delicious meal together. As a listener of this podcast, you can get access to these questions at www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Once you're there, make sure to type in your best email, and I'll have my team shoot over the questions for you. Once you get the questions, I encourage you to make this a family affair. Print them out. Have your kids help you cut them out. We even grabbed a mason jar, and my kids decorated it. And that's where we put all of our questions. And that same mason jar still sits on or near our dinner table to this day. We've been using these questions for close to eight years now, and I've really enjoyed the fun conversation and connection that's come from them. I hope your family enjoys them as much as mine have. Again, that's www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Now back to the show. Man, what a powerful question to ask. You know, how is that a problem for you? And, And taking that into our conversations. But obviously, let me ask you this. You know, your kids are, you're still, your kids are still young, but as you mentioned before, like kids have a way of pressing buttons to where our Mm -hmm. anger and our frustrations can just go through the roof. Right. And so when those things happen, what are your tools as far as, you know, that you've used so far for whenever, you know, that it's really not about what they're making it about and you know, there's deeper issues going on, but to diffuse the situation and 
to move forward in a way that you're really proud of? Jeez, uh, what a quality question. And um, you've got to ask, like, what is that anger, frustration, or that, what is that thing serving? Like, what is it serving for you? Right. And uh, I'm not a person who is a believer in emotional suppression. Like, you know, often at times as a young man growing up, it was like, oh, be tough. You know, don't see the doctor, you know, don't be angry, don't be this. And so I learned a lot of a very masculine emotional suppression where it was like a lot of this stuff was bottled up inside of me. And I was like, no, I'm fine. And I'm just super angry all the time. Um, It was crazy. To address your question, though, in, in those instances, I I remind myself that I'm the one that's angry at this. Like I am, like I'm Mm. the one that's angry at this. Like, like this is me that's angry about this. And I get sometimes when you're seeing red, you you maybe don't have this ability to sort of almost view your pattern or view your behavior, but you really do need to view your pattern or view your behavior. And if you can do it in real time, I mean, that, that's a, that's a real win, right? But me yelling or or me, you know, uh, being, being angry, for example, I'm probably just angry about it because it's something about me. I'm angry about it because um, they're not doing something the way that I want them to do it. You know what I mean? The moment we can take it. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, the and expectations sometimes, aren't like, being and, met, right? Uh, again, I've said things like this. I've said things like, well, well you know, um, like, uh, like, how many times do I have to tell you to do this? Like, what does it take in order for you to do this? Like, well, how many more conversations around us getting this done do we need to have? And like, it, it, at times it can be frustrating. You need to remind yourself that, well, I need to remind myself, I don't, I say you, but it's something that's great for all of us to remind ourselves of. It's, I smile about it now, but he's like, I was seven, like she's seven, Bodhi's five, like these guys, two, two rooms over. So I'm going to say this next statement. If you've got any little people listening to this audio, the podcast right now, just shield their ears. They don't need to hear this. But, but Noah's seven, right? I trust Noah, like to to cross the road like they can cross the road to go into school like i trust her to have a look around see the cars and then cross the road i trust her to do that she also believes in santa claus <laughs> right <laughs> yes. so, so what, what a jerk yes. i am because right. she doesn't get the one thing that i'm trying that i'm i'm upset about this, this is the one thing i'm frustrated about. oh why don't you get it why don't you understand and she's seven oh okay cool like that I guess I guess that's a thing. Maybe I might just need to remind myself of that like every now and then. Okay, great. Yeah, you know. Yes. 100%. And and a lot of times it's just cuz we're aggravated, you know, something's impending on what we want to have happen and to make our life simpler so we don't have to have a lot of times I feel like parents want to shy away from all the opportunities we have to pour into our children because we don't recognize those opportunities, right? Because they get frustrating and they happen at the most inopportune times where we're tired or, you know, we don't have time for this, but yet there it is, a beautiful golden teaching moment right there plopped in your lap. And if we don't recognize it and if we don't recognize our own frustration and, and whether or not we're going to give in to that frustration, then we miss those opportunities. And I think that's where so much of the good stuff happens. And in my journey, you know, wanting to build this business so that I could continue homeschooling my kids. I was so in love with homeschooling, even though honestly, it is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Truly, truly one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But I was so in love with what it was producing in my relationship with my children and how they were learning and that I was willing to do anything. And that's honestly why Social Sparrow exists. You know, my agency was because I knew that what they needed and what I, how I wanted to raise them was, was going to come out of me. Right. And, 
you know, to this day, my kids have been in public school. I've had, you know, my kids currently, they go to a private school Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and they're at home Tuesdays and Thursdays and we homeschool then. But the, the nitty gritty, painful lessons where we had to grapple with truths, we had to grapple with attitudes, we had to humble ourselves with each other, we had to lean in and have grace for each other in the moments of the day. That's, I wouldn't trade those moments for the world. And there was a seasoning of my own heart and my own temper in learning to understand and and take those moments and seize them for what they are instead of it making it all about me, right? About my inconvenience. And I've already told you and my frustrations and how, how fast you should have already learned this, how you should get over that your sister gets to play and you don't, you know, with the DS or whatever, and just stop being so selfish and, you know, all the things. And I feel like, especially in today's world with screens, and I know we're getting close to time. I know you've got something you've got to get off to, but in today's world with screens, I feel like more often than not, instead of having those golden moments and don't, and don't get me wrong, we have screens in our home. We have iPads. Um, you know, some of my kids have phones, we have games, you know, but sometimes in those moments, rather than have an argument, rather than deal with the thing, oftentimes we're, we're passing it off an iPad or our kids are, you know, self-entertained or self-babysat because they're just in front of a screen rather than arguing with each other, which actually is good behavior. <laughs> you know, those arguing moments are where they get to learn relationship boundaries as well as learn from you whenever you correct them and how they're handling each other, you know, things like that, especially at young ages. And so I'm so curious as we kind of come around to this incredible conversation, how do you guys handle screens in your home? I have this intake form whenever we're going to chat with somebody. And one of the questions I ask is like, do you feel overwhelmed by screens in your home? And Tony said, no. And most people say yes. And so I'd love to know, Tony, just kind of what your thoughts are on, you know, all the different types of screens. We got TV and iPads and games and social media. Uh, And I know your kids are still pretty young, but hey, man, I know. Yeah. I know kids who literally live on the iPad and I'm, I'm curious what's your stance and what are your thoughts? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, great question. And I, I did, I did, I did answer no. And the reason I answer no is that our kids, they're very neutral, like they're screen neutral. And, and, and what I mean by screen neutral is like, there's no fit if the answer is no, you know, and, and not to say that that's the way on everything, by the way. You know, I, I think that you've really got to be conscious in the way that you communicate with your children around. Like, so when it comes to the screens conversation, um, probably two years ago, I, I probably would have answered that question differently. Um, because both our kids, like, we were, we were at that stage where, like, a lot of, like, Noah's friends were starting to get, like, um, either parents' old phones or they were getting, like, iPads and screens and sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, we don't want them to not be tech savvy and we don't want them not to know what's like being in at school and so like well that that's important that they they had those things but at the same time we, we don't want them getting up at six in the morning and then hitting the screens and that was kind of the behavior that you know was unconsciously happening that sometimes they would wake up before us wake up would come down you know maybe like six thirty seven o'clock in the morning and uh it would be on their screens or the tv would be on or something like this and um it became a problem because we would be like out and about and they would be like oh can we bring our iPad? And I'd be like, no, you can't bring your iPad. And they would be like, oh, but uh, there'd be an argument to it, right? And so the the, the way that we sort of transitioned um, to a neutrality on, on screens or devices was we started having to say no to bringing them in the car or taking them outside the house. And it was firstly, screens just stay at home, right? 
then we had to redefine what screens are about. Well, well, screens are about watching a show or screens are about playing a game or doing something together. That that's what that's what screens are about. So like now that we've oh, got a, so good. now we've got a definition for for what it's for. So at six in the morning, like I, I like do, do you have like I mean we we got books, we got board games, we got you know, we've got uh, an environment, like we've got a house, like you can can run a mark, like you know, there's heaps of things that you can do. Does it have to be screen right now? And the answer is always a no, right? Like, well, no, I could probably do this, I could probably do that. Well, great, no worries. So there was a time where we had to our, our screens, they they went into the shop for a service. They 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 went for a holiday. Yeah. Yeah. And um we didn't know when we were going to get them back. And <laughs> I they, love it. I love it. <laughs> they just disappeared for like two months. They they were gone. They were uh-huh. gone. And you know this old saying, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And w- w- first couple of days, week, you know, when are we getting it back? When are we getting it back? When are we getting it? when the when the store calls, that's when we'll get it, right? <laughs> and then the store never called and we never we never brought them home. And they, they didn't end up coming back into our world uh, for about six or seven months. And and we noticed we, we noticed behavioral changes in the kids. We noticed um hundred percent. They pick up all the little things. Uh Noah in particular. You know, she she would start picking up like the uh, like accents from the the videos or from the stuff that she was watching, and it's sort of like she was displaying a lot of these behaviors because she's seeing it in the screen, and then she's bringing it to life and doing all this sort of stuff. And totally normal behavior, by the way, right? Like totally normal behavior from a kid to you know. I remember watching a, a VHS tape of of Superman. Yeah, and uh, it was like a, a cartoon Superman. Oh my gosh, right? And I I remember I grew up in a small country town um, in, in Australia. And uh, I remember launching myself off my back patio, uh, asking my mum to watch me do this um, because I was going to fly because I just I saw Superman flying on the TV. So I had one arm out in front, no shirt on. I launched myself off onto this brickwork and my whole chest, you know, is bleeding, my chin's bleeding. And I was like, oh, no. and I couldn't understand why I couldn't fly. I'm like, what, what the heck? Right? <laughs> crazy funny, crazy good. But it's normal for our kids to display those behaviours. But then I question, well, do those behaviors like, or what are some of those lessons that TV is teaching? Or what are some of those lessons that screen are teaching? And um, are they the lessons that I want like our kids to grow up with when we know how high values are on that that chain of violations, so to speak? Yes. Oh, I want to have great values. I want them to have wholesome values. I want to be able to have discussion about them uh, with them, pardon me, about what it is that they're watching so they can maybe see it from a like a, a higher perspective, so to speak, and not higher as in better, but Oh, so and so's behavior in that show. What do you think about that? Oh, oh, she's not very nice at all. She doesn't do this, or she does do that. Oh, great! Like, is that the way that we behave? Like, do do we do stuff like? Oh, Dad, it's just a show. Like, we we don't do that. Oh, okay, yeah, all, all right, fair enough, right? And, <laughs> and so we we have those sorts of conversations. But yeah, in summary, right? Screens had to go on a little bit of a holiday. Was there some tough times for that little while while we sort of detoxed? Yeah, it was. Is there now a non-reliance on screens? And um, I, I really do uh, press this word of neutrality. Like our kids are very screen neutral. Like they're um, they're okay with and they're okay without. They're not necessarily drawn towards, but they're also not like like uh, they they're, they're not demonized by screens. So to speak. they're not like oh my god, like the screens are so bad or anything like that. They're like oh well, we can like and they're not. I wouldn't think that they can't not have it. They definitely can have it. So then. You know what it's like. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not going to eat chocolate cake. And then, you know, for the next hour, you just crave chocolate cake. You're like, wow, <laughs> yes. what's happening, right? 100%. Yeah. Well, I just want to say bravo because 
you know, a lot of people don't send their screens on a holiday and, and, and there's lots of different reasons. People are coming from all sorts of different situations, you know? Um, but I love that you did that. That was one of the things that I ultimately ended up doing a lot. We, I, we, I ended up calling it my reboot system. And so it's something I currently teach and coach people on as far as rebooting your family. And, but isn't it amazing? Uh, I know, cause you're, you talked about it, you know, it's kind of like this, I say it's about three to five day period, usually closer to the fifth day is when you start to see your child resurface. It's not that your child like exited their body, but there were behaviors there whenever your child is truly addicted to a screen or just more in love with the screen than they are with the rest of reality at that time. Mm. And then after having a detox of having screens in their lives, about five or six, six days later, they start to come back to their natural tendencies and play and behavior. Attitudes kind of start, bad attitudes start disappearing. Did you notice that too? I'm nodding along with everything that you're saying. I regret not mentioning it. The, the imagination factor came to life. Yes. Like Noah's, Noah's seven, Bodie's five. Um, they now, every morning, like they both wake up somewhere between 5.30 and 6 o'clock. They're early birds. I'm an early bird myself, which which is totally cool. But they uh, they play in their room. They're allowed to play in their room till 6.50. So they can have 50 minutes of playtime. And they get up to the most outrageous stuff. Right. And they, 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 they come down <laughs> dressed in dress up or they come down dressed in makeup or they come down doing like whatever they're doing. They know that they're allowed, you know, 10 minutes of screen time between 1050 and seven o'clock and seven o'clock. We, the breakfast counter, we're getting breakfast together. We're going out, we're brushing our teeth. We're getting ready for school. We're finishing off any homework or we're reading a book together. Bodhi's got like heart words at the moment. So we're like rehearsing all these sorts of stuff. And that next sort of hour to 60, 70 minutes, it disappears really quick. And before you know it, then, then we're off to school, which is great. We, we you know, most yeah. days we, we have like an after-school activity, um, which, again, it doesn't really loan itself to TV time. So it's good in that sense. But now I'm, I feel compelled to share what I wanted to share with you before. Have, have, have you got a couple of minutes so I can I can share this one, yes. I suppose, communication yes. hack that, hack or not, but one communication thing that uh, I've noticed that we use with our kids, uh, and, Jesus, it, it's really great. But the thing is this, with the iPads or going away, we couldn't just take them away. You, you, you know, you, you can't just take them away. Like, I want you to think of like, you know, when, when you interrupt that screen time and you're like, all right, TV's off, it's dinner time, and you, you're the one who turns the TV off, right? I mean, you met with screaming, you met with like, oh, my God, like, what's happening, right? We've all been there. So and now I follow this principle, and the, the principle is, firstly, like, or I can expect a behavior, I have to tell them what the behavior is. Like, I have to tell them what's going to happen. So now, you know, if, if it's screen time or if it's whatever it is, like with the kid, like with the, the the screens, it was about, you know, three, four days out. We were like, hey, guys, in four days, we've got to take the screens to the shop, the ICU repair stuff oh, so um, because they need an update. And they're like, oh, they need an update in four days. Yeah, yeah, they need an update in four days. And then two days out, hey, guys, reminder, you got today and tomorrow. And then the screens, they've got to go into the shop for a, a couple of days. I don't even know how long it's going to be, but they'll they'll let us know. Oh, okay, cool. So we still got it today, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah still got it today. And then the morning off, hey, guys, reminder, when you come home from school, the screens, they're not going to be here because they're going to be at the shop. And we're just going to have to wait and see when we need to pick them up. But, you know, and then just feed them a bunch of suggestions. We've got, we've got crayons. Like we've got coloring. Like we've got, you know, games outside that we can play. We've got board games. We've got this. We've got, you've got stuff to do. Like it's, there's plenty of stuff to go on. Oh, yeah, 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 all good. And then when they come home, like in the car, just a reminder that the iPads, they're, they're at the shop. They're not at home anymore. And then what, what do they say? Dad, we know. You already told us. Oh, okay. Yeah. Duh. You told us. Oh, of, of course I did, right? Of, of course I how clumsy of me to not to have known that I've, you know, perfectly done that. Oh, okay, yes. fair enough. Right. So they tell me that 
uh, they they know that it's them, right? Uh, and then, so that, that's the second step, by the way. So the first step is you got, you've got to tell them what it is that you want. Like you've got to tell them what it is that like you've got to tell them, right? And then, and then you've got to tell them what you told them. So you've got to tell them what's going to happen. And then you've got to tell them like wh- what it is that's happening as it's happening. This is super important. And then you've got to tell them what you've told them. So it's almost like a three-step process to a degree. Like if I was to put it in context of say like, you know, dinner's ready and maybe there's some screen times, it would be like, Oh, hey guys, um, dinner's going to be ready in about, you know, five minutes from now. So in five minutes, the TV is going off. But after the TV goes off, we'll have dinner. And after dinner, you guys know what's going to happen. We're going to brush our teeth. We're going to read a book. We're going to go to bed. And they'll be like, oh, okay, great. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm lining up all the what's, like all the what's that's going to happen. And then when the five minutes is up, hey guys, now this is the thing that's happening. TV's off. It's dinner time. And remember after dinner, what are we doing? We're brushing our teeth. We're reading a book. We're going to bed. That's where it's at. They're like, oh, okay, cool. Too easy. Then when they're eating dinner, I say to them, hey, guys, so after dinner, we're going to be brushing our teeth. We're going to be uh, reading a book. We'll be going to bed. And they're like, yeah, like all good. And then when they're brushing their teeth, oh, guys, we're brushing our teeth right now. So now we've got to you know, read our book and then we've got to go to bed. But this is the um, this is the rhythm or this is the- It's your vision casting. Vision, there we, okay, there's a word for this stuff. I'm vision casting. That, that's, that's, that's where yeah, it's at. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm forward feeding- like what's going to be happening ahead of time? Because, geez, we we're talking about, and our whole conversation sort of opened up around six core needs and the, the four, you know, primal needs. I, I don't want them to be in a place of uncertainty because the more certainty I can give them, the more comfortable they feel. Remember, like in life, at times we feel uncomfortable, but the reason we feel uncomfortable is because we don't have certainty of the decision, like the, the, the situation that we're in. When we have certainty in the situation that we're in, well, then we feel comfortable. So it's not a feeling of, um, it's not that um, being outside your comfort zone is a bad thing or being inside your comfort zone is a good thing. It's just a question of familiarity. How familiar am I with what it is that's happening right now? And therefore, how comfortable do I feel about that? So if I can induce the feelings of comfort or induce the feelings of familiarity to what's about to happen, well, then they're cool. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's it. like, we're, yeah. hey, we're cool. Like we, we know, like we know what's happening. Like we know that I don't get any hassle yes. brushing teeth because we know that we brush our teeth then we read a book, then we go to bed and then I read my book and then I yeah. go to bed and then I go to bed. Like they, they know they're, they're, they're genius. You know, what's crazy about that, Tony is totally explained something that I did. And I didn't realize I did whenever I was doing the reboot with my family. So we, I started this, I don't know, the kids were all really little. I think my oldest was maybe seven or eight whenever we did our first reboot. And, um, I, for whatever reason, I started educating them on what about screens. Like I was, I was putting things in, like there was this show at the time about screens. And so I put it on and I let them watch it passively. Like they're playing and it's just playing in the background. And it was just talking about, you know, um, some of the dangers of screens, but also talking about the things we can learn on screens and all of that stuff. And, and then I would talk about, man, you know how cool it would be if we took some time off from screens and we did this and this and like, what would that look like? What do you think? And just started kind of seeding that. Uh, essentially, as we started doing this more often, it became more formalized. Like, hey guys, this is what I'm thinking. I think we're going to do a reboot. And this time I'm thinking we're going to go for, I mean, we've done it anywhere from like a weekend to literally four months before where just no screens at all. And uh, I would talk to them about that. And I would talk to them, what is it going to look like? And we would, I would, we would have a little family meeting and here's when it's going to happen. This is where the devices are going to go. And so I didn't actually realize that I did that there and created that certainty for them for the pathway that they were going to go and how important that that is. And and so thank you for they're pulling that out. I think that's so 
phenomenal. And I think you can use that in not just with screens, but with everything in parenting. I think that's so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I look, I, I stretch everybody to, to ask like, where, where are the applications for this? Like, where, where can I try it? Um, like, where can I try it in my parenting? Mm-hmm. Where can I try it with my kids? Where, where can I try it in my relationship? Just throwing this, throwing it yeah. out, you know, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe it could be a real thing. Absolutely. Okay. So Tony, I know we're at time, so I, I want to be respectful of your time. And then also, but before you go, I just want to ask if people who are listening right now, I just know that they've got to be just loving what you're saying and they're probably going to want to learn more about you. So where can they go to connect with you and learn more about what you've got going on? Appreciate you. And yeah, yeah look, if anybody's hoping to reach out or further this conversation or even just, you know, pop in and say hi, uh, I'm pretty old school, right? You can just, you can search me up on Facebook, uh, Tony K, T-O-N-Y-K-A-Y-E. I don't know like if there's a possibility to drop my profile or my link or something, yes. you know, with this, but you, you can do that. And and literally look, just send me a friend request and a DM and be like, Hey, I heard you speak on, you know, uh, Steph's podcast. It was amazing. And uh, I, I'm a pretty open sort of guy. So I'll, I'll, I'll definitely get back to you. And that's, that's literally probably the best way. I don't know if it's the most professional way that you can reach out to me. But that's probably <laughs> definitely the best way you can reach out to me. <laughs> well, that'll definitely work for now. And um, guys, Seriously, I want to encourage you to reach out to Tony. And man, I know that I am going to listen back to this podcast specifically because there's been a lot of really deep things that we've talked about here. But I think at the core, it's about you know being able to understand that there's more happening than just the surface level stuff. And so, again, bringing it back to the beginning, what I said about Tony, he always cuts you know cuts away the fluff. And in parenting, I feel like there's a lot of things that sometimes will 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 stay in the fluff a little bit. But if we want to be Again, this podcast is the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast, right? And so it's not about being a perfect parent, but it's how can I show up powerfully as a parent, right? So how can we do that? And I think that Tony has tapped into some things that are truly going to help us all up-level what we're doing in our homes in order to make sure that you know we can continue to build this incredible business online, but that we're keeping the first thing first and that we're actually evaluating, you know, what's going on? What have my six human needs am I trying to have met, you know, and what are my children doing? And so we can see a little bit behind the curtains and cut away the fluff. And so, Tony, thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom with us. And uh, man, and also just, I know we don't get told a lot by other people, but thank you for being the father that you are. You know, we we don't necessarily have people, or I don't, and a lot of other people don't have people in their lives that acknowledge the hard work that we put in. And I just want to say bravo to you and your wife for you know, choosing to send the screens on holiday and for being intentional and for dropping them off for, for kisses on the way to school and for tooting your horn and, and all those things, because it matters to our kids and, you know, they're the most important work. So I appreciate you. And I thank you so much. Appreciate you, Steph. And thank you for having me. Appreciate you. All right. We'll see you next time. I truly hope you enjoyed our episode today on the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast. Make sure to hit follow and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. You're not going to want to miss a thing. I promise. If you were impacted by this episode, do me a favor and leave a review with a comment. I read every one of them and I also pass them along to our guests. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links at powerfulparenting.com forward slash podcast. If you want to see more behind the scenes with me and my guests, be sure to find me on Instagram or Facebook. It's where we can have deeper conversations on these podcasts. Take care. And remember, it's not about being a perfect parent. It's about taking each day and working on showing up powerfully for our kids. They deserve it. And you are the parent for the job. See you on the next episode.